Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I think that most people that become more politically active and aware find themselves surprised many times by things that they encounter along the way. I myself, for instance, have been interested in politics and government for about as long as I can remember. But I can think back many times in my life where I had moments of surprise and even disappointment when it came to being politically active. I can think back to when I ran for state representative uh, and a state representative seat, and I was confident that I would receive the pro-life endorsement, for instance. Uh, There was no one in the race that was more pro-life than myself. The, The interview went very well. I was very happy after coming out of that interview. And really, how could they not give me their endorsement? But weeks later, they came out for one of my opponents, and I was shocked. How could this be? I mean, had I said something wrong in the interview that I didn't know about? This had to have been a mistake. But unfortunately, (laughs) it wasn't a mistake. They had endorsed someone that did not even believe in what they believed in as much as as I did. He raised more money to that point is what was the determining factor. It was a lesson on how things work in the political arena for me. It does not matter if a candidate doesn't believe everything that you espouse if they don't win, you back the wrong horse, (laughs) is how they think of things when it comes to these political packs and action committees and that type of thing. Well, another lesson that I learned the hard way (laughs) had to do with churches. And I went into the campaign thinking that I would be able to speak and motivate the, the church community of my area. I had a political consultant at the time say that my plan was not really all that good of one. <laughs> he said he he said that from all his experience that the and as he put it religious community would not rally around one candidate and churches would not help a candidate no matter if that candidate was a Christian or not. And I could not believe that, that this was true. I set out to prove him wrong. I sent letters to every church in my area. And I then followed that up with phone calls to each church. I had very few of my phone calls returned. Those that that I did talk to expressed really very little interest in having me speak in any capacity. And most just said something to the effect of, you know, we don't or we can't get involved in politics. How could they take this kind of stand was my question. We have a responsibility to work to see 
good godly leaders in these positions of power. How could I get the cold shoulder this way? Why so much fear surrounding this subject? I mean, I I really felt that there was this fear that was over these pastors and over these church leaders where they just didn't want anything to do with politics. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand why they should or how they could, even if they wanted to. And so they just completely left it alone. Uh, that's the, the, Eventually, I came to that conclusion that most pastors and church leaders don't know what they can and can't do when it comes to politics. They get scared that someone will take their nonprofit status away if if they do something political. And so they just shy completely away from it. It is just easier for them to stick to what they would call the spiritual things and ignore the dirty game of politics. Besides, it if a pastor or church leader speaks out in support or opposition even to something or some someone political, they might even offend or make someone within the church mad. And and how can you justify that? You know, if somebody leaves the church because maybe they're, you know, not in, in full agreement with you when it comes to politics. Those that do try to help where they can often have opposition. I mean, I'm working with a campaign right now, and the campaign I am working with uh, had a a rally. Had a, they called it a freedom rally, and and uh, they recently had this at, on on church property. There was this big tent set up uh, on this property, and we had somewhere between about 550 and 600 people turn out on a weekday evening to attend this, all right? There was a lot of people there, and they were very interested in what was being said. We had several speakers, including the candidate of the uh, the candidacy I'm, I'm working with. Well, this did not go over very well with one of the other candidates in the race that was not there. And they are they are literally threatening the church to take away their nonprofit status as we speak. They are trying to just throw their weight around and say, you should not have anything to do with politics. And if you do, we're going to go ahead and, and make you pay. Now, in this case, the church knows better than to believe that, you know, they're in any kind of danger over this. But it can be a little unnerving to any pastor or any board member when something like this happens. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. <laughs> you know, in through recent times, many church leaders and pastors are recognizing just how important it is to not stay silent when it comes to politics. But there is still some confusion, in my opinion, as to the subject. 
And I I thought I it would be good to to walk through what you can and can't do as a church or a pastor. And a great resource for this, if you want to to find more, is um, a group called the Alliance Defending Freedom, and specifically even their their division, their Church Alliance Division. And they, you can Google them. You can you can see all kinds of information that, that they come out with. They're an, an excellent group. And one of the things that they um, they do is they um, put out some information for people who want to know more about what churches can do and pastors can do politically. And number one, they 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 talk about really about five different things. Number one, sermons and 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 speeches, and and more specifically, we'll start with speech about candidates. Well, in 1954, uh, there's, a, there's a 1954 law commonly referred to as the Johnson Amendment, and it prohibits speech by churches supporting or opposing candidates for elective public office, including sermons from the pulpit. The law also applies to church support of, or again, opposition to, a political party. Violation of the Johnson Amendment can result in the loss of tax-exempt status. And that's what a lot of these churches um, kind of hang their hat on. They're like, well, you know, there's this Johnson Amendment, and uh, they can take our tax-exempt status away if we do anything political. Well, while pastors are restricted under the Johnson Amendment when speaking on behalf of the church, pastors can support or oppose a candidate for elective public office when acting in their personal capacity. Pastors do not check their individual First Amendment rights at the door when they agree to lead a ministry. So just because you're a pastor does not mean you can't speak out politically in favor or opposition to a candidate. You just can't do it as representing the church and saying this is what the church opposes or supports and and so on and so forth. Now, about speech about issues, churches and pastors in both their personal and official capacities can speak about the public, um, social, and moral issues of the day without restriction. That's important. You can speak about these things without restriction. Again, there's freedom of the church. Just because something is, um, you know, a a moral issue, a a social issue, a public issue, whatever the case may be, doesn't mean that I can't speak about it if I'm a pastor. As noted previously, when we just talked about, the law limits church speech supporting or opposing legislation and forbids churches from supporting or opposing candidates for elected public office. Given that the, that the scriptures discuss much of what is being debated in our culture, churches have a unique role in guiding the discussion. Our church and, and our, our Christian witness and testimony can overlap with issues viewed by some as political. So just because somebody sees something as political doesn't mean it is. And if, if there's a, if there's, let's say, a moral issue with something, we can say and we can talk about it as a pastor. Churches 
can can come against something or in favor of something because it's a biblical issue. And just because it overlaps into the political area doesn't mean we can't absolutely talk about it or discuss it. Churches and pastors in both their personal and official capacities can also discuss the positions of candidates on issues, as long as the discussion does not support or oppose any particular candidate. So if I'm talking about, you know, John Doe candidate for whatever office, uh, I can say that candidate is not a pro-life candidate. Um, now, as long as I don't, as long as I say, well, so you can't support John Doe because he's not pro-life or what, as long as I don't go to that extent, I can talk about even how they come down on the issues. Now let's talk about speech about legislation. A church, including in sermons, and this is important, may discuss legislative issues, support or oppose legislation, and encourage its members or the general public to support or oppose legislation so long as the church limits those efforts to what the law terms as, and this is important, unsubstantial amount or an insubstantial amount. Insubstantial amount. What does that mean? Well, when it comes to the definition of an insubstantial amount, unfortunately, the Internal Revenue Service or the IRS does not define this term. Isn't that interesting? But instead determines what constitutes an insubstantial amount on a case-by-case basis. Now, it, it, obviously, there's definitely some, some wiggle room here, and there's, there's some um, just gray area. So if, if, if you want assistance in deciding what might or might not be considered an insubstantial amount in your church, and, and maybe your church's case, you can always go to people like, for instance, the, the ADF here, and they can definitely help you out in there. Now, pastors, when acting in their personal capacity, can speak in support of, or, of course, again, in opposition to, legislation as much as they like. Legislation includes any action by Congress, um, or a state legislature, or a local government, or similar body that makes laws. This, this also includes ballot initiatives, constitutional amendments. and and votes on a public referendum. Legislation does not include actions by executive, uh, judicial, or administrative bodies. Now, so what's the bottom line to this? Well, church leaders should feel free to, to speak about political issues in their official capacities and to support or oppose candidates and or legislation in their personal capacities. What a what church leaders should not do, though, is support or oppose candidates for elective public office in their official capacities. So you can't say, as pastor of so-and-so Lutheran church or whatever, this is what we support or this is what we oppose. You can't do that. That's the no-no part. All right. General education of voters. This is this is a, a good one in, in an area that in which... Um, churches can really be involved. Now, 
when it comes to voter registration, identification, and organization, churches are allowed to participate in nonpartisan voter registration, identification, and get out the vote activities. In, in order to qualify as nonpartisan, these activities may not be directed at any supporters of any particular candidate or political party. However, these actions may be directed toward groups of people, such as church members or those who live in a particular geographical area. So just because they're a church member doesn't mean that you're directing them at a particular political party or something. Now, when it comes to voters guides, churches are also allowed to distribute voters guides. We did. When I was lead pastor, we would set out voters guides out on the back uh, back table and allow people to pick them up for free uh, so that they can get a better idea of who um, the, the, the candidates are that, that more closely align with their values. Um, and, and those that don't, to be honest with you, um, you know, whether, whether they create their own, um, type of guides, um, there's, there's a lot of different organizations out there that will do these type of things, but questionnaires, uh, if you develop one for your, for your own, uh, type of guide questionnaires used to develop these guides must be unbiased. Questionnaires should be sent to all candidates, and the questions should cover a wide variety of issues without bias towards the church's preferred answers. Uh, responses should be published in the candidate's own words or in a natural, unbiased, and, and complete way. And the candidate's responses should not be compared to the church's preferred position, or the survey should be should not be overseen in in any way by any candidate. And that's kind of a, you know, one of those things that's, that's, I probably didn't even need to say, right? (laughs) So local organizations often produce excellent voter guides and make them available to, to these, these churches. If, if you would like additional information on obtaining nonpartisan voter guides for your church, consider just getting in touch with your local family policy group. Um, they, they should have ones that, that will have even down to the, the local uh, elections. Uh, you may also find information about candidates by visiting freedomvoterguide.com. Now, bottom line is churches should feel free to participate in nonpartisan voter registration, voter identification, and get out the vote activities. And what churches should not do, though, is engage in partisan support of opposition uh, you know, partisan support or opposition to candidates for elective public office under the guise of, you know, general voter education efforts. So that's that's kind of where it gets to be the no-no. All right, number three, use the church facilities. Now, using a church as a polling place, churches may work with local governments to act as polling places for elections. At times, polling locations are scarce, and using your church building as a, as a polling place, can minister to your community. Candidates appearing at a church meeting or service, um, you know, they, 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 can, they can do that. They may be invited to appear at a church service or a meeting in order to speak, preach, read scripture, or otherwise just publicly address the church. However, if a church decides to invite candidates to a church meeting or service, the church should consider how it will maintain equal opportunity for all candidates. So like, for instance, when, again, I was leading a church as a pastor, uh, we had a voters forum 
where we invited all the candidates of a particular race. And we're able to then uh, see, you know, number one, who showed up. <laughs> and so, and there were some that, that did and some that did not because they, they knew it was going to be at a church and they decided not to be there, but they were invited and it's okay. You, they don't have to show up for you to, to have the forum. And that's what we did. We asked questions of, the, of these candidates, the ones that showed up and the ones that didn't show up, we kind of knew where they stood. So this, this means that if one candidate is, is invited, all candidates should be invited. Indeed, churches can even host political forums in which all candidates are invited to discuss and debate the issues as long as the church manages such forums in a neutral, unbiased manner, which is what we did. In, in addition, the church should also be careful not to indicate any support for or opposition to visiting candidates. And finally, candidates' appearances should not uh, facilitate political fundraising on the part of, of the church. So, you know, if, if it's a fundraiser for a particular candidate, that can start to go over the line. Uh, distributing literature in parking lots. In general, people may be permitted to distribute political literature in a church parking lot. So, so long as as much as, as the per, there's a permission given uh, in, a, in a neutral, unbiased manner, which is to say if Legislature uh, literature supporting one candidate is permitted to be distributed. Literature supporting other candidates must also be permitted. Conversely, a, a church may choose not to allow literature distribution on its premises at all, since the premises are really private property. So the bottom line to this is churches should feel free to use church facilities for nonpartisan polling, literature distribution, and even speaking activities. But what churches should not do is allow facilities to be used in nonpartisan ways, which could be perceived as supporting a particular candidate for an elective public office. So let's talk about lobbying. When church churches and pastors in their official capacities undertake efforts to support or oppose specific legislation, the activity is considered lobbying. And to be clear, churches are permitted to speak with candidates about biblical, social, and even political issues, regardless of any pending legislation on the topic. And we don't have, to, as a church, we don't have to be silenced uh, just because we're a church, just because there's a certain legislative, uh, you know, legislation going through. But as soon as communication qualifies as lobbying, it becomes subject to the, that thing that we talked about earlier, that insubstantial amount rule and should be uh, accounted for uh, accordingly. So, for example, a, a church can share unlimited information about abortion, let's say, and its view on the issue, including what the Bible teaches about the sanctity of human life. However, the church should limit support of, or opposition to, specific legislation um, for instance, referring a particular legislative or congressional bill, let's say, to an insubstantial amount. Now, note, too, that a church's public reach might also be a factor the IRS would consider in determining whether it is has engaged in more than that insubstantial amount of lobbying. But churches with large audiences uh, inevitably engage in more lobbying than churches with smaller audiences when they support or oppose specific legislation to those audiences. 
All right, let's talk about state election law uh, type stuff. Uh, lobbying activities may expose churches in some states to election law registration and reporting requirements as a political uh, committee. And that's something you're going to have to look into on a state-by-state basis. Many of these statutes are unconstitutional because they expose churches to uh, intrusive regulations for a very small amount of lobbying. But if you find your church exposed to such state election law requirements, you might want to contact somebody like the ADF and, and, and the attorneys that they have there to review your situation. So again, bottom line, church leaders should sub, be you know subject to state laws, feel free to speak about political issues without limit and support or oppose legislation up to that insubstantial amount. Now, church leaders should not support or oppose legislation with more than an insubstantial amount of church's annual budget, even their time or their activities. And lastly, let's talk about gifts and money. Church church involvement with, with political organizations, uh, for one. A, a political organization, or commonly referred to as a political action committee, or PAC, you've probably heard of so-and-so PAC, uh, is an organization whose main purpose is to accept contributions and spend money to influence the the selection, nomination, election, or appointment of a candidate for elected public office. Now, churches are not allowed to provide gifts or money to political organizations. Churches should also avoid political fundraising or facilitating political fundraising, whether on the church campus or not. That's just kind of an area that you don't want to get into. Now, as far as spending uh, to support or opposing a candidate, churches should avoid spending money to, 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 to do that. Uh, this includes buying airtime for a commercial or printing or distributing flyers, purchasing advertisements and the like. Um, and finally, churches cannot give money to a candidate. You just can't flat out, you know, take up a, a um, you know, an offering for a particular candidate and then give, give that to that candidate. You just can't do that as a church. Um, and then, but there's also these things called referendums and initiatives. Now, many many states have these things, and uh, and many many states uh, allow citizens and organizations to to propose a topic or specific legislation to be placed on a ballot. And and, and this process is commonly known as a referendum and initiative. Now, um, it's not advisable for churches to sponsor referendums or initiatives, but churches have the legal right to participate in this process. Churches may spend money in support of or opposition to a referendum and an initiative, but need you need to be aware that, that doing so does constitute that lobbying again. And, and again, you're kind of subject to that insubstantial amount. So again, a church should check the state laws because they, they do differ from, from a state to state, but you should be able to, to take part in those type of activities. Bottom line, churches should subject themselves to state law, feel, but feel free to spend or raise money to support or oppose ballot measures uh, up to that insubstantial amount. Now, churches should not spend or raise money to support or oppose candidates for an elective public office. So what, what does all this mean? Let's just get right down to, to the nitty gritty. Always keep in mind that discussion about or efforts related solely to the issues is not restricted by law. 
supporting or opposing candidates and specific legislation is where the regulation begins. It is key for a pastor or a church to get involved in the society in which they have been called to serve. A, a part of this is the responsibility of helping see good godly people be elected to positions that affect that society. Helping voters understand what the Bible has to say about social issues that are affecting and, 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 and affected these, these elected, these elections is, is just, is just what we need to do. Doing this in a legal way is also key and, and doing so without fear is so crucial. Understanding, having knowledge of what you can and can't do and the wisdom to do it is where we need to be biblically. And you may, you may agree, you may disagree, would definitely love to hear from you on this one. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.